This is the podcast for August 10th, 2012. It's not safe for work. Recorded live from the Paul Ryan for co-president national headquarters. It's the professional left with Drip Glass and Blue Gal. Finally. Yeah, finally something. <laughs> something. Something that will unite conservatives and liberals alike. An yeah. era of good feeling, if you will. Yeah, good fifis. I do think that for the good of America, Paul Ryan must be on the GOP ticket. He really must. He must. And you, you know, know, if they decide that that Mitt Romney is for Vice, then you yeah. know, go for it. That's I don't an old know. Spiro Agnew joke for those of you that are old enough to remember that. And Richard Nixon for president, Spiro Agnew for Vice. Yeah. yeah. And I'm going to give away a big Spiro Agnew secret, Drift Glass. Yes, he was. He was uh, a criminal. No. Spiro Agnew is the absolute best clue ever if you're playing Hangman. Uh-huh. Nobody ever gets it. And you just say, this is an elected official in the past 50 years who held national office. You can even give him that clue. Uh-huh. Nobody well, ever gets it because it, Spiro, it, both words, Spiro and Agnew are such weird spellings of, you know, no one, no one gets it. You'll always sure. win. So Except if you're now, ever in a because now everybody yeah. knows. Now you're screwed. Now you give it all away. It's up to a gal. Yeah, it, it's only fair. Um, it's only fair bringing us back into the present age. You know, looking back on, it's almost Nixon Agnew's almost quaint these days. It is, isn't you know, because wow. Agnew was what a tax evasion. Yep. Yep. And uh, Nixon was. Yeah, and when you, you know, think about BD Rebozo, I mean, he was an amateur in yeah. terms of violating campaign finance morals you know yeah. that was like that was small small potatoes well back when rat fucking pardon the expression <laughs> but that's the expression they used was yeah. was doping up things on your opponent's letterhead and, and it was done sort of in secret you weren't supposed to be able to find out who did it it, it was it wasn't an industry you yeah. know it was there wasn't an entire media industry built around falsifying information and flooding the public with it and making your opponent cry and then forcing them to respond to the media. That was a bunch of uh, college Republicans Mm -hmm. who thought they grew up and became Karl Rove. I mean, Karl Rove sharpened his teeth on that era. So, well, that's, you know, thank you, Rick Perlstein, because that's that's Nixon land. We still live in Nixon land and it's getting uglier and uglier out there. But there are there are you know there's reasons to smile. There are, and we want uh, one reason to smile is that we did a a show this week with the Shannon Files, which is another podcast that you might want to check out. And it's the Shannon S H A N N O N for John Shannon, one of the hosts. And Shannon Files, we will put a link up at our po- at our Facebook page, and also I'll put one up at my blog, and I guess your blog too. Uh, go over and listen to their latest, uh, I think it's August 9th episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's us talking yes. and shooting the shit with them about politics and science fiction. And Turns stuff. Turns out they're kind of science fiction geeks a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I got I got a lot of baggage, Blue Gal. And <laughs> we had dragged, a lot of fun. We did. I dragged it was it with, yeah, we fun. did. It was, it was a good four-person conversation. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. So go and check them out. And we're going to start this week with a letter. We we have gotten a lot of really great letters, and I especially want to thank people who have shared their personal lives and political histories with us this week um, and in previous weeks. Uh, people write us really long letters about how they have come to our podcast and how they've come to uh, become political liberals and uh, where they think the country's going and how that affects them personally. And we can't always read every letter on the air, but my goodness, we get so much out of reading them. And not only does it make us feel less alone, but it makes us feel that you value what we do. And we certainly value you guys. So thank you for writing to us. Um, I guess I'll put that at the beginning of the podcast. You can write us at P.O. Box 9133, Springfield, Illinois, 62791 or email us at proleftpodcast at gmail.com. And if if you write us at either address, just be aware that we reserve the right to read your email on the air unless you tell us otherwise. And if you say don't read it, uh, we won't. Yeah, or if you want us to mask some of the details, we're happy right, to do or, that. Right, or call you John Doe, whatever. We mm-hmm. don't mind. 
Um, this letter is from John, by the way. Yeah. His name actually is John, and he lives in Wisconsin. And uh, we're this is just a fun letter. We had a good time with it. But he asked a question at the end that we thought would make an awesome podcast. So here goes. John writes, hey, you guys, love the podcast and look forward to it every week. It's one of those rare gems I stumbled upon while looking for something interesting to listen to. The title caught my eye as I was searching a list of podcasts, and it turned out to be exactly what I was looking for. With little exception, I find your opinions to be well-expressed versions of my own views. I've heard you say on more than one occasion that one of your goals is to provide listeners with a vocabulary with which to express their opinions. Well, mission accomplished, banner style. And in your case, the statement is actually the truth. I've gained a considerable vocabulary as well as learned a number of history lessons. Gold, absolute gold. Much of the history I've learned is stuff I remember from my childhood and teen years. I'm 44, but didn't pay much attention to at the time. I recall Nixon being on TV from time to time, and I vaguely remember watching him resign, though at the time I didn't realize the significance of it. I also remember the energy crisis in the 70s and seeing all the cars lined up at gas stations on the nightly news. I also recall much of the Reagan years as well, but again, as a teen, I didn't really think too much of it. But listening to the two of you, I've been able to go back and tie many things together and create a trackable history of modern politics in my head. You have also made me want to go back and read more of these events and flesh them out in order to get the big picture. Wow, looking to the past for actual historical facts and trying to relate them to what's happening today? I must be some sort of communist hippie. (laughs) (laughs) I'm enclosing a check for back pay, paying you retroactively, you might say. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I've been through all of the past podcasts, some of them more than once, and have appreciated the work and passion, not to mention fun, that has gone into all of them. I plan to be a monthly contributor as well. Thank you so much. And thought, you, But I thought you deserved a little back pay as well. One thing I would ask of you, though, is maybe include some examples more often to back up some of the opinions you express. Not that I doubt what you're saying. In fact, I'm usually in complete agreement. But to give some of us newbies to political arguing and reasoning some facts to go on would be great. For instance, you often say that the problems that put the economy in lousy shape that it's in are the fault of Republicans. Never a truer word was spoken, but could you throw out a few examples of what it was they did now and then? You also say quite often that liberals have been right about almost everything for the past 30 years. Obviously, but a few quick examples for people like me to look up and be able to put out there to back up my opinion would be awesome. I know there's time constraints and flow to consider, but just some quickie examples would be much appreciated. Well wishes to you and your family. Keep speaking truth to power. Best regards, John. Thank you so much, John. That's an awesome letter. Mm -hmm. And uh, we talked about this and said, you know, this is a really good time to provide some factual structure. Uh, one of the things that we do in this podcast, I think, is presume a lot of knowledge and expect our Listeners, we know our listeners are smart, (laughs) Uh but sometimes providing a little more historical context is certainly something that we can do. And And I I, I expect John has read Howard Zinn as well. I mean, Howard Zinn is where I would go to start reading history. And John, please, please don't presume that knowing any of this is going to help you in any way. (laughs) Um, In fact, it will make your life miserable. The great curse of liberalism it isn't intrinsic to liberalism but it's something we sort of had had we've had to adapt to because like i guess the irish copying books <laughs> as they burned in other countries we are really the only group of people i know of who preserve the past mm-hmm. and look mm-hmm. to it and say no that before you know history didn't start on january 20th 2009 really it didn't there was stuff that happened before that in fact you lived through a lot of it and part of the great um, uh, frustration, and if you can step back a few steps, amusement 
and tragedy, really, of living in the United States right now is watching um, 20 or 30 million of your fellow citizens just just float away in a cloud of self-induced lobotomization that would make a North Korean blush. And well, and you just said make a North Korean blush. I blushed this week uh-huh. when I heard um, Fred Thompson, of all people, was yep. on Fox News. And he said he said that Harry Reid would make Joe McCarthy blush. Yeah. During yeah. a 30-day period when his members of his party mm-hmm. went after Huma Abedin yeah. <laughs> for being, a, you know, the infiltration of the government by Muslims and mm-hmm. Alan West is actually counting communists in the in the Progressive Caucus, and and you wonder and, how. And there's no irony in any of this. Well, that's 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 their secret weapon. Yeah, I go I, I go over to right wing sites, yeah. and the I one of the prominent Chicago Breitbart sites is just operates in a parallel universe. They're obsessed with um, Obama's secret. This and that and the ghost of Acorn coming back and signing up welfare cheats to vote and something about Elizabeth Warren plagiarizing recipes in the <laughs> 70s. And I'm, I'm quite serious. And just and, you know, it's all capital letters and it's, you know, exclamation points. And and sure, the media loses its mind when the, the lamestream media and the Democrats lose their mind when a Republican plagiarizes something. But look, she plagiarized recipes Word for word. And, okay, I get it that that is a thing maybe that happened, but I'm not going to chase it down the rabbit hole. I'm not going to find out if it's true or not. And 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 then you have to step back and realize this is one of the packing peanuts of the thousands of packing peanuts these people have stuffed around their heads. They can't hear anything else but this weird alternate universe noise. So when Fred Thompson likens Harry Reid to Joe McCarthy, I bet you a whole lot of people he's talking to have no idea who Joe McCarthy was. It's just a dirty word. They don't know what a socialist is. That's just a dirty word to call a liberal, to make him mad. They don't know what a communist is. They don't know what they don't even know what a conservative is. These are just words that they're being taught like you teach you know, kids teach each other dirty words when they're eight or nine because they're naughty. And now and and the entire conservative side of the American political dialogue consists of a bunch of of children screaming what they think are dirty words at the tops of their lungs. And it doesn't make any sense because they're children. Mentally, they're children. So there's lots of cases, large and small, um, meta and specific, where liberals have been right and conservatives have been wrong. And, and I would include in, in that group centrist Democrats. Centrist Democrats ain't liberals. Right. <laughs> they're they, they're, they're DLC Democrats. Frequently. Yeah. And, Harold and Ford Jr. ain't no liberal. We did want to say that, you know, we could do 14 shows on the yeah. Iraq war <laughs> right now. We could start today. And everything that has spun off from the Iraq war. Yep. And we could, um, we could do that. So we're, we're not going to do that. Uh, and trickle down economics is another one, which we're going to get into a little bit. Uh, but you want to start with Bill Clinton. And I think this is a really good place to start because it relates specifically to this week's news with Mitt Romney's welfare ad, which was, you know, I want to say it's the most racist thing I've seen this season, hmm. but the you know, season it, is young. The season is young and yeah. Yeah. it's pretty uh, weak by comparison to Willie Horton and some other ads we've seen. But sure enough, it's it's right up there. Mm-hmm. With they're going to get just a check and not have to work, and we know who they are. Sure, we do. And and, and men, but what I found fascinating, it mentioned Clinton by name. It did. It and did. bipartisanship by name. You know, those Absolutely. were the good old days back, uh-huh. back the president that we impeached. Yeah, <laughs> that 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 little part, that little bit of it. They so left that out. So let's let's talk about a little bit about the Clinton era, um, things that liberals got right. And, and and here's here's the point, and here's here's something that's I think a useful tool. Um, it's not holding people to my standard. I, I don't I don't I don't believe I'll ever or I will ever live in a world where that will happen. But holding people to their own standard that's that's where you can really sort of make some inroads. 
Um, the entire Clinton presidency was dominated by the phrase, even the appearance of impropriety. Republicans used to whip themselves into a frenzy on, you know, we'll invent, we, we should investigate this president even if there's no facts involved, even if it just appears that something might be wrong. We should investigate Bill Clinton's Christmas card list. We should investigate the file office. We should have actual congressional investigations where we have hearings and subpoenas and bring people in front of Congress and put them under oath. We should – and all of this is perfectly legitimate. All this is the normal business of government. This is a this is a Republican idea. This is a Republican philosophy from the Clinton years. And up to and including, we can gin up some charges against the president of the United States, force him into a grand jury – put him under oath and then ask him questions that have nothing to do with that and just go fishing on his ass under oath until he slips up and then we'll impeach him. And not to interrupt you, but, you know, Michelle Bachman said very early on in the in the Obama administration, we should have nothing Mm -hmm. but hearings. And she didn't even know what they were going to have hearings about. But it was Mm -hmm. the job of the House of Representatives, of a Republican House of Representatives to investigate a Democratic president. That's your job. If you're yeah. in the House and you're a Republican. And let's let's remember how the Clinton administration started. Again, I'm, we're addressing John's letter about about liberals and conservatives, Republicans and Democrats. Mm-hmm. The Clinton administration ran on a fairly liberal agenda of education, infrastructure and health care. You might remember this. Um, and almost before he was sworn into office, people like Alan Greenspan took him aside and said, you can't do any of those things. Because your predecessor left you a deficit uh, that's greater than anything in history. And you, the markets will not tolerate that. The, that the markets will point. collapse. Yep. Everything will everything will fall to pieces. Your agenda will be destroyed. The country will end up as a smoking hole in the ground if you don't drop all these crazy liberal ideas you ran on and focus instead exclusively on paying down the debt that your Republican predecessors left for you. Now, mark that down. The Bush Cheney, I'm sorry, the Bush Reagan years left behind trillions of dollars in deficits, which nobody gave a shit about until Bill Clinton, the Democrat, became president. Suddenly, deficits went from we don't give a shit to that's worse than Hitler. My God, you have to stop everything you're trying to do and pay down the mess we left behind. Does any of this sound familiar? This is how the Obama administration began. And then flash to the end of the uh, Clinton years when there's a surplus. How do I know Mm -hmm. there's a surplus? Is that some crazy liberal idea? No. I know there's a surplus because George W. Bush ran against the surplus. He made campaign speeches saying, that money's not yours. That that money's not the government. That that speech is easy to find because it was at the Republican convention. Yeah. He in ran, 2000. So he, you don't need to go searching for it. Go find his speech to the Republican right Convention. It's right there. There, there, used to be, so. there used to be a surplus. There used to be a budget surplus that we were going to use to to, to actually start paying down the debt, and not the, the deficit. And the forecast was we would pay off all of the national debt in 10 years. Yes, if we just kept doing what we were doing. Yeah. But a Republican got elected. A Republican stole the election. Again, let's 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 segue into what actually happened. The small government Republican Party that hates judicial activism and loves states' rights applauded when an activist court intervened in a state election to stop the recount of African American (laughs) votes. And that's again, that's not my standard. No, that's their standard. Mm -hmm. And, And the question is, where was the outrage? Well, there wasn't any because Republicans don't have any principles. They just believe in winning. So. Were liberals, were liberals right about the 2000 election? Possibly. I don't know because the, the election results were not allowed to be um, conclusively decided. They weren't allowed to be counted. What I do know is that Republicans abandoned their own principles in a heartbeat and when, when, it, when it flipped in their favor. Mm-hmm. When deficits when, – when the Bush administration came on board, suddenly deficits were no longer Hitler. Surpluses were Hitler. We need to get rid of those damn surpluses. So we're going to have tax cuts. Now, then we get to the second round of tax cuts. Here's what liberals don't believe. (laughs) Liberals don't believe that 
after 30 years of Reaganomics, of supply-side economics, of economics that say we shouldn't stimulate demand in the economy, which means you have a middle class, you have labor unions, you have people who can afford things, you have good middle-class jobs. That's what demand-side means. Demand-side means you have people who can afford to buy stuff because they have jobs. Reaganomics, supply-side economics, says no, no, no. What you should have is really cheap goods. And the, the distinction between a citizen and a consumer and a voter gets split up. So we start treating people, citizens, just like consumers. So sure, your neighbor might lose his job, but you're going to be able to buy a T-shirt for a dollar. And that's Reaganomics. And eventually it applies to everybody except bankers and stockbrokers. Mm-hmm. You start noticing that all the people around you are losing their jobs. All the unions that protected their wages are being destroyed. This is a natural result of, of Reaganomics, of supply-side economics, the destruction of labor unions, the debasement of the idea of labor itself, the worship of money, the outsourcing of jobs, those ain't liberal ideas. Those are conservative ideas. And conservatives have had 30 years to watch this play out. So what happens at the end of the Clinton administration? The Clinton administration finally <laughs> pays down a bunch of the Bush-Reagan economic catastrophe, um, you might remember a little thing called Iran-Contra, where the Bush-Reagan administration committed treason, sold weapons to terrorists, and yeah, used the money to, to fund... The, one of the axes of evil. Yeah. yeah. Sold weapons to Iran. Advanced American weapons to Iran laundered the money to pay for an illegal war. And on his way out the door, George W. Bush, George H. W. Bush, pardoned everybody. Yeah. Pardoned a bunch Christmas of. Christmas Day. Uh-huh. Casper war Weinberger. There's a Google term for you. Uh-huh. Casper Weinberger. So Republicans. on Christmas Day. So if you take the Reagan. When, when, Bush, when Bush number one was a lame duck. Yeah. Yep. So yep. let's take the um, Bush-Reagan years. And what do you have? You have economic catastrophe. <laughs> through a through a crackpot economic theory that has had thirty years to to prove itself and has failed every time, you've had a uh, a theory that if you just cut taxes deep enough, it'll stimulate the economy and it'll make up for the fact that your economic theory sucks. That didn't happen. Well, and let's be clear: there are some Democrats who feel that a surplus is not a good idea. And that that money should be in the economy. And I get that. But if you decide then, okay, you're going to have a modest payroll tax cut and really try to finagle things a little bit so that you get as close to a balanced budget as possible Mm -hmm. and you don't have big surpluses are not necessarily what a liberal would want to have. No. Because really that money needs to be in the working class economy. Yeah, but that's that's not what Bush argued. Him arguing this is your money. What he really meant is we're going to do a huge deficit creating tax cut for billionaires and my well, millionaire friends. And they promise. But this is again, this is take the Republican template, take the, the years when Republicans look back on most fondly, which is actually 1812 or 1810. But let's let's take the contemporary era, the the, the period that they're most proud of are the Reagan and Bush years. Yeah. The Reagan and Bush years are, are typified by economic catastrophe, massive relocation, massive upswings in wealth for the top 1% and the flattening out of wages for everyone else, the, the uh, destruction of American foreign policy, war crimes, um, getting more Americans killed stupidly in one day than it happened since the Vietnam War. You might remember Ronald Reagan got a um, a whole bunch of Marines killed in Lebanon, and then he left, that he pulled out of the country. I believe the technical term for that when liberals tried to get us out of Iraq was cutting and running and mm-hmm. hating America and not getting the job done and giving the enemy a timeline and blah, 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 blah. So if you simply and We haven't at- even mentioned the AIDS crisis and Reagan's no. complete no. Uh, denial of that devastating, you know, the number of people killed in the AIDS crisis, that was a plague. It was a plague. And a, we had a president who wouldn't acknowledge that his country was undergoing a plague because the religious right to whom he owed his balls didn't want to hear it. Yeah. And so Ronald Reagan shut his mouth to a plague that was killing his own citizens. Yeah. And that's the Reagan legacy. It's pretending problems don't exist. 
And if you're rich enough and if you're white enough and if you're Republican enough, you can get away with it. And if the press is on your side, you can get away with it. So you can go through the entire Reagan-Bush era and find just example after example of these sorts of things, deficits, bad foreign policy, all kinds of shit that Republicans are perfectly cool with. They were perfectly okay with all that until Clinton got elected. And then suddenly it became the job of Congress to witch hunt anything the president does, no matter how small the issue, no matter how trivial the, 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 uh, uh, no matter how trivial the rumor is, we're going to investigate it as serious. We're going to have an entire separate right wing press that is funded by crackpot billionaires. In this case, it was Richard Mellon Scaife funding the American Spectator, pimping these terribly slanderous, vicious, untrue rumors about Bill Clinton. Well, and, and then, even in cases where, you know, with the suicide of Vince Foster, where it was clearly proven by law enforcement that there was nothing to any conspiracy to kill him. He actually had, you know, tragically committed suicide. Hmm? Uh, they continue to investigate it. I mean, continue, like, <laughs> they continue to insist. No, no, it was it was Vince Foster and, and Hillary Clinton in their love nest. Yeah. And he was murdered and his body we need was to investigate apart. this further. And there was no more evidence to come up with i mean law enforcement said i'm sorry but he really did kill himself and the point being the people who promulgated those lies paid no penalty for it there was absolutely no downside during the clinton years to being a lying slandering douchebag and there there still isn't there still is so gingrich was on our tv yesterday and talking to chris matthews you know and newt gingrich will be on your tv this sunday yeah It'll be on your TV on, on Face the Nation, along, along with a bunch of other people who which, shouldn't be on which television. Which is a real coup there for Bob Schieffer over, you know, I I don't know what was the deal with David Gregory sleeping at the wheel there, not getting so, mute. So, so at the end of the <laughs> Clinton years, remember, and let's, let's not forget impeachment and all the other things. Remember, And, and the, the point being that I've, I've written long, long posts. And I'm trying to summarize them as, as efficiently as possible. But during the Clinton years... Republicans said things like, this is your war, not my war. He's not my president. He, he's, he wasn't elected legitimately, and you know he's a secret socialist. Um, when we had troops in Bosnia, it was it's going to be a quagmire. When asked, how can you slam the commander-in-chief? How can you, how can you attack our war? How can you not be on the side of the, of the war effort and still claim to support the troops. Republicans said, oh, of course, the war is a complete fucking, you know, mistake. And the war is a catastrophe. It's an embarrassment. But you can, you can, you can be against the war and for the troops. I you mean, have that's a collection of quotes. I, and I have a huge collection blog. of these yeah. quotes. And yeah. they're out there. They're sitting out there. You need you have, a link to that when we well, post have, the podcast. I, I, yeah. I do. And you have people like, I think it was Rick Santorum, but I'm not sure, probably not. But it was a prominent Republican who, during the impeachment of Bill Clinton, was asked, do you think it's a good idea to impeach the commander in chief when people are being shot at in Iraq? Because remember, we had a no fly zone in Iraq. People were in harm's way in Iraq. And the answer was, those good young men and women are defending the Constitution. And it, and it would be an insult to the Constitution they defend if we didn't impeach Bill Clinton. That was the Republican rhetoric during the entire eight years of the Clinton administration. Every time they shut the government down, every time a new rumor was pimped in the press, every time that rumor was picked up by Congress and used to start a a bogus witch hunt, Republicans never had a fucking problem with it. They stood there piously and said that this is what government should be doing. Again, the appearance of impropriety. Right up until George Bush was handed the presidency. And suddenly, talking mean about the president became treason. Investigating the president became, are you kidding me? Don't you know? 9-11 changed everything. There's a war on, for God's sakes. Suddenly, it was okay to deficit spend. How do I know that the Bush, second round of Bush tax cuts, again, not a liberal idea, Bush tax cuts for rich people, was supposed to be a stimulus package was supposed to stimulate massive job growth and massive economic activity. How do I know that was supposed to happen? It was supposed to pay for itself because people like David Brooks said it was. <laughs> they went, they wrote long articles about how the second round of Bush tax cuts during a time of war will stimulate the economy and really the only the U.S. economy can do it. Nobody else can do it. So during that period of time, Republicans believed in stimulus packages. They believed that stimulus packages could create jobs, and they believed in deficits. <laughs> they thought 
Richard Cheney famously said, Reagan taught us deficits don't matter. Uh, and during the entire Bush administration, the same people who had jumped up and down and screamed bloody murder over deficits under Clinton, as Clinton was paying their deficits down, never said a fucking word. Until what happened, blue gal? Until a black guy put his hand on the Bible and said, I'm now your president. And suddenly they learned how to spell deficits all over again. They put on funny hats and they strung tea bags from the, the, the from their eyeglasses and they became a new political movement. And the press one more time let him get away with it. And once again the rhetoric of the president's not really the president. He's not really an American. He's really a socialist. He really hates this country is being floated by the same despicable lying thugs who were floating it during the Clinton administration and who fell asleep apparently for eight long years while Bush was doing things that made the worst defense under Clinton look like a footnote. And that, boys and girls, is the difference There's between a little bit of a history and Democrats. I ruined my day yesterday uh-huh. by watching Morning Joe, and I will never do that again. <laughs> it's bad. It's It was so awful. and it's I, on that It's on that liberal MSNBC, isn't it, Blue Guy? I wanted to bring this up in light of all of the history lesson that you just gave, because there are other history lessons from the Reagan administration, particularly the PATCO strike. Yep. And the PATCO strike, you can go and Google this, P-A-T-C-O, was when the air traffic controllers uh, went on strike and Reagan fired all of them Uh and not only fired them for striking – but made it so that they could not reapply for their jobs. They could never work in air traffic control again. He destroyed that union, mm-hmm. which was illegal. I mean, plain and simple, it was illegal for him to do that. But he did it. Yep. And that ended uh, strikes pretty much. If you look yep. at the charts, and we were talking about that when uh, Chris Hayes had that on his show. And he said, wow, what happened right here when, you know. <laughs> There was strike, 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 and then all of a sudden it just flattens, and Uh it was the PATCO strike. Mm -hmm. And that stopped any ability of workers to negotiate for wages Right. Serious in serious negotiations. You can't can't strike if you can't say, I will not work if I cannot get the wage that I feel I have earned. Mm -hmm. If you can't strike, you have no weapon against employer. And then, and suddenly, you see after that, right about that time, you see wages starting to flatten out. Completely You see pensions, out. pensions being replaced by four hundred one ks. You see benefits being cut, 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 cut. You're seeing factories, whole factories, whole industries being shipped overseas, and that's all. Bec- and that's all Republican conservative economic theory at work. That's what it looks like when you when you let this shit play out. So after this thirty year experiment. Of letting Repu- letting conservatism, letting conservative theories run wild, run naked through the economy. At the end of that period, what do we have? We have a debtor nation. We have a broken military. We have we have people in misery. We have an eight percent unemployment rate. We have the rich getting obscenely richer based on nothing more than their ability to move money around. You get people plundering the economy, taking, extracting the value of labor, and holding it hostage and saying, I'm not going to reinvest in this country. I'm not going to pay my taxes. Well, gonna- and I want to bring, I want to interrupt you because I want to talk a little bit about this um, Joe Soptic ad, yep. which is what Morning Joe was about. And it was Micah being an absolute concern troll and rolling her eyes and sighing and saying, well, I think it's just terrible that the Democratic Party is calling Mitt Romney a murderer. Don't you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's not the issue at all <laughs> with, with no. the Joe's Optic ad. Let's be no, clear. it's not. That's just not the issue. Joe Soptic has a right as a man who lost his job, lost his health insurance, and lost his wife within an eight-year period of blaming the man who did that, blaming uh-huh. the company that did all of that. Yep. And he individually has a right to feel any way he wants about mm-hmm. the company that did that to him. I'm not saying I'm not saying anybody's a guilty of murder. No. But Joe Soptic has a right to be pissed. Yeah. At Bain Capital 
and yeah. to attribute the death of his wife to the bullshit capitalism that made him lose his job and his health insurance. He has a right to do that. And that yes, anger does. is valid and, and is, has been experienced by thousands and thousands of middle class people in the past 25 years. Well, that and that anger is a new thing. It is. That's it the is. new thing in the political world. Yep. That's what's changed. Yep. The, for, for thank you, all, Occupy, you know, yeah. for bringing it to bringing the issue that way. And for all the people who are, you know, what's happening on the right, I'm, I'm not going to address concern or concern, legitimate concerns or concern trolls on the left. Or one of the things on the left that's new is punching back hard. Yeah, yeah. And the, the media isn't used to that. And we're going to get into that in a minute. Um, but what I wanted to say about the Joe Soptic ad, first of all, I just found out from the Washington Post that ad hasn't even run yet as of two days ago. It hasn't even been on, paid to be on the TV. Nobody has paid to put that on the air. So <laughs> Priorities USA is the group that put that on. And so, you know, winning, duh, <laughs> they, mm-hmm. they actually got they got a lot of airtime for that ad in, in light of the controversy. And this is a conservative idea that health insurance belongs in the private market. And this is the issue. And I'm really God bless Jonathan Alter last night on the Ed Show, because he said the real issue here is health insurance. Mitt Romney's declared policy is I'm going to repeal Obamacare. I'm going to go back to the days where a pre-existing condition will allow you to be denied health insurance. I'm going to go back to the days where if you lose your job, you have no access to health insurance. And when that happens, people will die. That's what Jonathan Alter said. That's the issue of this ad. As I said, the Manhattan millionaires at Morning Joe will never have to worry about how their next doctor office visit is paid for. They don't get that. They don't get that the insecurity that comes from not knowing whether or not you're going to have health insurance is something that really motivates people. And some people might accuse me of indicting <laughs> capitalism here. Some people say, Blue some Gal, people that you say indict I capitalism. indict capitalism. <laughs> and, you know, I really hate to quote the CEO of Chick-fil-A, but guilty as charged. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is not, there is no market for health insurance. You either have it or you don't, and everyone mm-hmm. needs it. And that is not a marketplace. A market is where there is a good or service that some people want and some people don't, and it's attractive to some people and it's not attractive to others, and you, it, the price is based on supply and demand. Mm-hmm. That's the health insurance that nothing about health insurance meets up to that standard, no. to that and, definition, and, period. And I can, I can see the virtue in theory because remember we're playing with we're playing with people's lives now yeah that's so, the point so playing market theory games with the the lives and health of american citizens is is a game for wealthy idiots who go to davos every year but i can see the virtue of introducing the concept of competition in the marketplace, marketplace-based competition to improve services and lower cost. Sure, sure. That is a that is a fine that's a fine thing in theory, but as Chris Hayes points out in his lovely book, um, "The Twilight of the Elites," any system you have where there's huge rewards for success and huge downsides for failure, which is a market system, mm-hmm. is also a system that rewards cheating. It's just it is just inevitable that you're going to incentivize cheating and, and, that's co- true and corner whether it's cutting baseball and steroids right. or banking and uh, in, and mortgage fraud. Absolutely. It's or the health same insurance. thing. Absolutely. Uh-huh. And, and actually, that's a place, you know, when we talk about markets, one of the places where hospitals have actually done a lot of marketing. And you'll you'll notice this if you're really thinking about how hospitals market themselves. They market themselves in maternity wards. We have the nicest birthing rooms. We have the nicest yeah. staff. We have great mm-hmm. care. We have good outcomes. We have we make sure you get flowers and candy in your room or whatever. They make it the added value is this that is a place in maternity where and and delivery uh, is where 
consumers actually have a choice if they have uh-huh. health insurance between one hospital and another. Well, and there's I want to have my baby. There is a place in uh, healthcare, especially in hospitals, where techniques learned from the manufacturing industry mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. called lean, lean yeah. manufacturing. Yep. This idea that you there's there is here's your factory floor, and there are ways to rearrange how you do things it, uh, there's there is a thing called the kanban system yeah there's yeah. pull versus push type of manufacturing right but and there's, there's ways, ways to, to manage uh nurses access to patients exactly so exactly. that direct service from the nurse to the patient and then back to the doctor you can improve systems that way absolutely absolutely, absolutely. And talking about that if no 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 exactly that assumes a universally covered Populace. Exactly. And and so there are efficiencies that you learn in the marketplace. Uh, the, the, the RFID, the radio frequency ID used for inventory by Walmart, is incredibly efficient. Mm-hmm. It's also it's also being used by a very evil company. Yeah. So there are all these efficiencies and all these improvements that you can and technological improvements included that you can get from the private sector, get Absolutely. from the experiences learned that you can you can transpose into your social systems, into education, into healthcare. That doesn't mean you should take those systems and throw them into the private sector. That's crazy. That is a recipe for cheating and misery and, and a bifurcation of very rich getting excellent service and everyone else getting crap mm-hmm. and dying. Mm-hmm. So I, that's a real important distinction. I'm really glad you brought it up because there are, there are places where market forces or the, 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 the echoes of market forces are certainly welcome. In uh, in places like healthcare and education yeah, and, and other there's no social, re- there's no reason that there can't continue to be a profit incentive within healthcare once we've covered everybody to a basic level yes, of you exactly. will have treatment if you get cancer. You know, mm-hmm. you can do Botox centers, you can do all <laughs> kind, you know, like I said, this this obstetrician level of concierge obstetrics is something that. Hospitals have have bought into, and there's no oh, yeah. problem with that as long as everybody can deliver their baby safely. If you want to make it into a four star hotel experience for someone for additional money, go for it. Go for it. Absolutely. Um, and then finally, we want to talk about, and I love what you've done with this, the whole question of debating because you are an experienced debate person from high school having yes. debated in high school, and you've been talking with me a lot about that this week. Um, tell me about the fairness fairy. <laughs> yes, the fairness fairy, which I believe I need to trademark. In I think you do, with, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's it's up there with, with market unicorns. And, and uh, both bonds. sides do it. <laughs> yes. These are imaginary concepts that people cons- consistently believe are real. And consistently act as if they're real true things in the world and they're not. They're Santa Claus. They're the tooth fairy. The fairness fairy is this idea that if you conduct a, a debate on the fair and square, if you, if, in, I'm talking about like a national forensic league sanctioned high school type debate, that if you debate honestly and openly with facts and logic, um, and, and the other side cheats and lies, that the fairness fairy will eventually come down and tap you on the head and say, you win. You get to run the country now because you were more honest and you were more honorable and you, you were more factual. And there is no fairness fairy. Um, there is no gallery to play to. There is no referee. This is the distinction between – and this is why um, I was invited on a, a, to, to, on a radio show in Louisiana. I'm not going to name any names, but it's a popular radio show in Louisiana to debate centrism. And I don't think centrism – this is the problem with it. I think people don't, have forgotten what the word debate means because people people assume shouting at each other is debate. No, debate means you have you're, you have a scorekeeping method and you have – You have judges. Uh, you, have you have actual judges, judges. yeah. Who, who sit there and, and score you on your logic, your presentation, your facts, your evidence. And you know what happens if you lie and cheat and get caught? Real bad penalties – um, like you're this kicked ha- out of the tournament if you lie. Oh, yeah. Yes. Well, this, this actually happened to my team in high school. We were my school was on its way to the national title, and we were in the semifinal round, and another school cheated. 
wow. uh, lied about a, a uh, study that didn't exist, built an entire case on a, on a completely fictional basis. After the tournament was over, um, it was discovered that they had cheated, and there were severe sanctions against this school. They couldn't they couldn't make my school whole because we lost in the semifinals. And the people who won in the final round said, look, we didn't have anything to do with this. Mm-hmm. Um, but the point being, the school was suspended from the program. I think this person's scholarship was rescinded. I mean, there were real severe penalties for being and caught. I think they weren't allowed, you told me they weren't allowed to debate the following year either. Yeah. They were oh, yeah, removed. Were, it's, it's like Penn State. They were removed from competition. Were, but that's what debate means. It means you have yeah. – you have you have objective standards. You have time limits. You have a, a, a theoretically an objective panel of judges or an individual who score you on on a basis that you understand. And at the end, but, you have a winner and a loser. Under that standard, the Republican Party wouldn't be able to run for any office for the next there, fifty years. There's the problem. We <laughs> we keep insisting this is that we keep misunderstanding what what a debate entails. So we keep approaching encounters with people who lie constantly, yep. as if. We're gonna we'll have one more debate. Let's have a national debate, Blue Gal. Let's well, have a national conversation, Blue. No, no, because if if there are no sanctions for lying, if and and yeah. believe me, and the biggest lie of all, as I've said before, is centrism. That's why I'm I'm probably not going to do this radio program because no. my my predicate is like global climate change. Centrism is not a debatable proposition. It's a fact. It is a fact that the media will not fairly arbitrate an argument between a liberal and conservative. Nope. It is a fact that they will always say, no matter how pernicious or obnoxious or criminal Republican behavior is, that somewhere out there there's some liberal who's doing something equally wrong, so both sides are equally bad. And Driftless, this actually boils down to a very personal level as well um, uh-huh. with people who are debating friends or acquaintances on Facebook. Uh-huh. And I belong to a uh, email list that I've I know I've known these people for 20 years and they have a new member who is a conservative who forwarded a email from Facebook to the whole group saying, you know, the person that really understands healthcare debate is uh, Donald Trump. So let me show you this thing about Donald Trump hiring. You know, the problem with healthcare is they're going to hire 166,000 IRS agents and not one doctor. Yeah. And they're going to force you to buy it and fi- and fine you if you don't. And on and on. And it went on and I'm reading it and I just went through methodically in the email counting the lies. Yeah. Now, fortunately, someone replied to this email ahead of me and said, I want off this list. Yep. If if this is what's going to come through on this list and this list has been going on, like I said, since 96, I think. Yeah. And all of a sudden, someone wants off this list because if you're, if this is what it's going to be, if it's going to start trashing my email account with this kind of crap, uh, I don't want it. And so they had said that, and I replied and said, you know, I count four lies in this email so far, mm-hmm. and that's just that's just with reading it. That's not with researching it. So I, if if this is what's going to come through, I don't want to be on the list either, not for this kind of email. Mm-hmm. Then. <laughs> third person came on the email list and said, you know, I looked it up and Donald Trump didn't say this. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. A lie wrapped in a lie. A a lie wrapped in a lie. And I thought, but you know what? They attributed it to Donald Trump to give it credence. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and I guarantee you, everyone listening to us, almost without exception, has an experience just like just this. Just like this. So that that caused me to respond and say, look, uh, oh, no, I've, I'm sorry. A fourth person came on and said, well, you know, this email list is really about lively debate and lively conversation. Yeah. Now, the person that wrote that is a very dear friend of mine. Yeah. I mean, they were in my wedding. So they're, this is someone I'm close to who said, you know, we're all about lively conversation. And let me ask you, person who sent this Donald Trump email, do you agree with it? Do you and and starts to draw this person out. Are you do you want to have a conversation about this email and what's true your, about it and what isn't? You mean your first wedding, don't you, Blue Guy? Yes, I do. Yeah, my first wedding. <laughs> Not my second Happy wedding. anniversary coming yeah, up. Yeah, that's right. Next Sunday, the 19th yeah. of August, is our first yeah. wedding anniversary. They yeah. said it so, wouldn't last. Look at us. Oh, uh, look at us. Uh, anyway, anyway, I derailed nice you. I apologize. Nice little segue there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
uh, and I'm very happy to be married to you, Drift Class. The, she wanted to draw out this person and say, you know, let's have a conversation about this email and make it a lively conversation. And I, I hated doing this because I feel like such a bitch when I say things like this. But I just came back and said, no. <laughs> the fact uh-huh. that Donald Trump didn't say it is just icing on the cake. It is not lively conversation when one person lies and uh-huh. then the other person has to draw them out about whether they actually believe the lie they just said. Mm-hmm. Or repeats lies or repeats lies wrapped in lies. That's well, not lively conversation. It, it it's it's not lively conversation for me um, because I get I get my sh- more than my fair share of conservative passed along conservative emails from crazy Uncle Fester. Yeah, we all do. Who yeah. who says blah 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 blah? And by the way, Judge so and so says this about the health care bill, and you deconstruct it and deconstruct it, and, and then you find out that Judge even the internal lies are fairly easy to, to research. The larger lie that was attributed to a guy is you look up the guy. He said, no, I know this has been floating around for four years. It's a lie. I never said any such thing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you can you can spend a minute, two minutes, five minutes, whatever it takes, debunking the entire thing and then debunking the packaging it came in. Mm-hmm. And the reply will always be the same. Both sides. Well, you know, liberals are just as bad. <laughs> and I, I it really, it, it is a matter, it's no longer a matter of, of if but when you can count down okay i've replied to this email four three two bing i have mail oh look it's a reply well you know liberals are just as bad says says every fucking conservative who gets caught with their dick in a hornet's nest well you know i i just i remember hippies from the 60s doing and at that point at that point, my, my thesis is proven. Mm-hmm. Centrism is the worst lie in American politics. Yeah. People who keep and, – and mindless dolts who just regurgitate it because they're basically children. They don't know what else to do when they get caught other than say, well, Jimmy did it too. You can't deal with them. But people who, who market that lie, who make a living off of promulgating that lie, those people you can go after. It was an interesting uh – Rather remarkable conversation on The Last Word this week. And Lawrence O'Donnell was out and Alex Wagner was discussing this with Ari Melber and Michelle Goldberg. The question of why is it that the media and and here they are talking about the media and we'll get into that. It's hard for the media to cover the media. But talking about the media equating Harry Reid and taxes and Mitt Romney's taxes with death panels, birth certificates, and Barack Obama's school records, that somehow mm-hmm. Donald Trump and Orly Tates are exactly the same as Harry Reid. Uh-huh. And Ari Melber called, called it a conservative ecosystem, that there's a cons- there is a really well-organized food chain of information and talking points that floats back and forth from Drudge to Rush to Fox back to the blogs and they they all get on message very very quickly. Uh-huh. The, the higher end of that, the top shelf version of that is the Wall Street Journal, but yeah. it's all, you know, Rupert Murdoch's money. Right. Or or, you know, or hate radio. But but yeah, it's incredibly well coordinated and it is it is a vast echo chamber that works very efficiently. But Mitt Romney is sort of bumping out of that ecosystem from time mm-hmm. to time and when he does Ann Coulter loses her shit because the I think because he's going against the food chain not be, not so much because of what he said or what his spokespeople say but right. we have to be on message here and there is no point what she said was there is no point in you Sean Hannity doing a show if you're going to have a moron like this on staff, and what they mean is an off-message moron. Yeah. Because so, it's a machine. It's a machine. It's and a we're machine. all supposed to work for the same for the outcome. same outcome. And what I really loved about what Michelle Goldberg, who, by the way, is one of the most intelligent people on television, uh, said was that the Beltway media is not comfortable with liberals being aggressive. And this is the problem with Harry Reid. And the way they have to geld that power is to say, well, you know, we have to talk about Barack Obama's school records also. That's right. There has to be a balance somewhere 
in order to make it. And it's always that way. It's always about tempering aggressive liberals. Aggressive language. Yeah. And it's, you know, the ghost of David Broder hangs over this banquet. It's the shrillness, uh, the vituperativeness. It's the tone of voice. Well, what about the content? What about the actual facts that they're saying? Well, and the thing is, when we were saying these things calmly, nobody paid attention. Exactly. When we said them shrilly, they had to pay attention. When we we protested en masse against the Iraq war with millions of people in the streets, nobody covered it. They turned the cameras away. Yeah. They wouldn't cover it. So once we got loud and shrill and angry, we forced our way into the debate, and then they had to shift the conversation to our tone of voice. Now, and, and what was sort of remarkable about that conversation um, and what was kind of sad about it is they were naming names. They said yeah. so-and-so, you know, these – and the, the worst Washington people aren't The Washington Journal does this and so on yeah, and so the forth. Washington Post the, and these, these sort of bloviating centrists who always have to find the balance between – even if they have to make it up, they will invent some centrism. What they can't say on MSNBC, of course – is that the very worst offender on television, bar none, in terms of audience reach and and sheer nakedness of his um, shilling for this incredibly dishonest false equivalence, is a guy named David Gregory, mm-hmm. yeah. who runs MSNBC's flagship political talk show program, Meet the Press. He's the worst of the worst. And they can't say that because he works for their company. He, he is one of their... Um, larger bosses. The reason we bring up conversations like this mm-hmm. is that it struck me how similar, and this is, this might come across as offensive, and I don't mean it as that, but how how similar liberals are in a certain way to to African Americans in the sixties, the fifties, sixties, and seventies, and and in one real specific way. Um, my former in laws. Um, used to tell stories, African-American family, lovely people, um, used to tell stories about when they'd see a black actor on television. And they'd all call each other, go, did you see? Did you see? Bill Cosby is on such and so. Because it was so rare to see a black person on television not portraying a maid, not portraying a stereotype, but on an actual real TV show. When uh, the Nat King Cole show came on the air, it was it was a celebration because it was so rare that you saw people like yourself on television. And the reason that we sort of huddle around up with Chris Hayes or get get jazzed about even even a, a whisper of a conversation that sort of sounds like what we hear on blogs and what we talk about on this podcast is that Despite the fact that we have overwhelming evidence that we are right and they are wrong, we are segregated. Our news, liberal news, liberal opinions are aggressively segregated out of the mainstream of American political conversation. And segregation always means weakness and fear. The reason you won't see a real hardcore liberal on the Sunday morning shows with any regularity, or if they are on, they very clearly have a shot collar on, and there's certain things they're not allowed to talk about, is that having a conversation about the, the, the core corruption of the media, the, the fact that the top person at the New York Times, the top people at National Public Radio, the top people at the Washington Post, the, the top people in the sun, the top people who control our political conversation absolutely will not permit a conversation to happen that might stray into the area of, oh, and by the way, both sides aren't wrong. One side is wrong more often than not, and one side is right more often than not, and that is a fact as, as clear and as demonstrable and as empirical as gravity. Mm-hmm. Because the day that conversation happens, all those people lose their jobs. They lose their viewers. Conservatives turn it off. Centrists who want to pretend this ain't happening turn it off. They lose their jobs. So that conversation will, will never happen right. at a national level. And, and I, you want can't you to, ver- I want you to mention your conversation with my dad this week. Because my dad oh, I, called, and he had some feedback about our podcast in, in this vein. Be happy, Warriors. <laughs> he thought <laughs> we were being too defensive on our podcast. I found that really interesting. Mm-hmm. And and I think there's something to that. Well, there is, but I, I think one of the reasons I sometimes sound defensive is because the podcast and being aggressive and needing to be aggressive because this is politics. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. 
I'm not ordinarily an aggressive person and I don't like being the bad guy and I I don't like myself when I get angry. But at the same like time, the Hulk. Look, <laughs> just like the Hulk, Hulk smash. That's what they're calling Harry <laughs> Reid. That's what <laughs> you, you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Yeah, but we've yeah. got to get angry. I mean, th- look yeah. what is happening. Look at look at how people's health insurance is being fucked with. I'm sorry, but that's the case. Mm-hmm. And if we we have to make this about real people and real issues. And that's what that Coptic ad did. And that's what scares them shitless is that it's about real yeah. people. Who feel who whose feelings are my wife died because of what Bain mm -hmm. Capital did to me. And that's what they feel and you can't argue against someone's feelings. If it Mm -hmm. I mean you can argue a, a debate, a political issue, but if someone says, I feel as though Mitt Romney's actions led to the death of my wife, Mm -hmm. you can't argue with that. I mean you just you can say, well, you're just calling Mitt Romney a murderer. No, I just feel this way. I feel I as feel, though my wife would not have died had I not lost my job, and I lost my job because of Bain Capital. Yeah, the, and I don't the message think is Mitt Romney. Romney I don't feel as though Mitt Romney even gives a shit about that. Yeah, the message is Mitt Romney ruined my life. Yeah, and Mitt Romney doesn't care that he ruined and my he life. He doesn't care that he ruined my life. And you know what? You don't mm-hmm. have to. You don't have to call Mitt Romney a murderer to say he doesn't get to be president of the United States because he doesn't no. care. And that's because that. well because what everything he did was legal as far as anyone knows is perfectly legal. It doesn't mean it's moral. It doesn't mean it's right. It doesn't mean he. Sh- but it, it absolutely it, and he can go right on doing that after he's defeated in the in November. But being able to wreck a company, take the profit, and and not give a shit about the lives you destroyed is not a qualifier to be the president of the United States. Well, and I on- did want that was one of the other history lessons that we sort of skipped over, but. Um, I, I listened to a two-sentence description of what happened to that uh, steel company, and uh-huh. it was told in very strict language of Bank Capital came in, loaded the company with debt, and then bankrupted yeah. it. And yeah. the, the fact is, so much is left out of saying that. Mitt Romney's company came in and started to charge the company fees that were – not ever going to be included in any kind of uh, bankruptcy deal. Those would be uh-huh. paid. They First. borrowed money. They had the company borrow money to pay Bain Capital's fees from banks or wherever. The company borrowed money to pay Bain. And then when they couldn't pay the loan back, they went bankrupt and screwed those lenders now yeah. the deal the difference between that and what happens with what happened with the bankruptcy bill that says mm-hmm. that underwater homeowners can't do that and people with massive num- numbers of student loans massive amounts of student loans can't do that you can't include student loans or your home's mortgage in any kind of bankruptcy proceeding ever but, it's illegal to those pillars well, of middle class life you can't you, you can't screw your creditors that way. I mean, you can't. That's, and that's a nice way to put it. But Well, and that's the conversation that, that they don't want to have. They don't want to have is, that conversation. That's the why system is rigged. The yeah, system is it's completely, is absolutely rigged. It's rigged because, against the working class. Well, and once the, once the American people, you know, I hate to say that as a broad stroke thing because I always mock people who do. But if people ever get the idea on a serious visceral level as they are starting to, that the American dream is over. Mm-hmm. And that there's a group of people. This is where I think the real fight is coming down yeah. to. Because people get a real serious feeling that um, the next generation is, is screwed. Or the, the next generation is going to have it much. Really the game is rigged. rigged. And on the one side, we have liberals saying it's the bankers and the people who write your tax code and the people who rig the rules and the people who put Supreme Court justices on the court who say it's okay for corporations to behave like citizens. Mm-hmm. There, that's where you should focus your anger. On the right, it's no, it's Mexicans and Negroes and uppity women. They're the real reason why this country is in bad shape. If only we could all just carry guns in church, there wouldn't be a gun problem. If only women would shut up and do what they're told, there wouldn't be a sex problem. If only women wouldn't have so much sex, this country wouldn't have have to pay for their birth control because they're fucking all the time. Mm-hmm. Those are really the two sides. And if you think that those two sides are equivalent in terms of the uh, facts on which they base their opinions, 
on their moral um, gravity, on their perception of the universe, then you're a centrist. And if you're a centrist because you are too terrified of what it means to side with one side or the other, if you're too terrified to face the fact that 20 million of your fellow citizens are crazy, then you're part of the problem. Mm -hmm. You can listen to our podcast for free at our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com. Go to our Facebook page. I'm Francis Langham on Facebook. Friend me and I'll friend you back. We're on iTunes and our fabulous app available at the iTunes store. We're on the amazing Stitcher Radio and we're on Netroots Radio at netrootsradio.blogspot.com. And don't forget, we are also this week over at the Shannon Files and we thank them again for having us on the air. Every week, we post an Internet Kitty to our website and Facebook page. This week's Internet Kitty is named Patch. Patch is a big rock music fan and will only stay in the house if there is rock music on. Otherwise, he goes outside. (laughs) There's a picture of Patch on our website and also at our Facebook page. Please feel free to write us at the Professional Left Podcast, P.O. Box 9133, Springfield, Illinois, 62791, or email us at proleftpodcast at gmail.com. If you have an Internet Kitty, send it to us by email, and please put Internet Kitty in the subject line of your email. Be aware that if you write us at any address, we reserve the right to read your email or letter on the air unless you say otherwise. So, Driftglass, how are the Internet Kitties doing this week? Well, you know, Blue Gal, the Internet Kitties think it's a very hopeful sign that an actual Mars landing got better reviews than John Carter. Let's think about living. Let's think about loving. Let's think about the hooping and the hopping and the bopping and the loving, loving, loving. Let's forget about the whining and the crying, the shooting and the dying, and the fellow with a switchblade knife. Let's think about living. Let's think about life. This podcast is recorded under a Creative Commons license, copyright 2012, Drift Class Blue Gal Podcast. We're running really late. Let's get started. Okay. I, I think it's episode 140, by the way. Oh, are you? I'm checking. Because you and I do different number systems. Yes, we do. You're right. I'm wrong. We can just, that could be our podcast. <laughs> 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 and we're done. <laughs> <laughs> and we're finished. It's short, but it's it's good. So so sweet. It's for really good class to hear the, the that. Sa- You're right. I'm wrong. The yeah. end. The right. end. Thank you. This was our final podcast, ladies and <laughs> gentlemen. Send us money. Yeah. Uh, All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs>